Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Elections on Tap with your host, Miles Wilburn. I'm joined today by my panelists, Max Littman and Tyler Gardner. On the episode, the panel and I will uh, be discussing current polling in November's midterm elections and why things seem so confusing. So just uh, as a sort of a backup um, or to give people some backup who may not know, as the primary summer has rolled along, we've started to see some general midterm election polling trickle in as well as presidential approval polling. Typically general election polling, sort of the generic congressional ballot in particular, uh, is a good statistical predictor or indicator uh, of, of how November elections turn out. This is how uh, some election prognosticators have uh, predicted the ele uh, elections and whatnot. Usually the uh, congressional generic ballot tracks well with the presidential uh, uh, approval ratings. As we sit here in mid-July, the president has a pretty bad uh, approval rating. What's interesting, however, is that we've seen the generic ballot converge more closely to how the country feels, uh, or more closely than how the country feels about the presidency. So I'm gonna ask my panelists here, uh, what are your sort of general observations about this discrepancy? And I'll turn to Max first. Yeah, I, I think to me, it makes a lot of sense if you look at it, I think holistically, is I think a lot of voters saw Joe Biden as the very last option in 2020. He wasn't very popular in the midterms, or I'm sorry, in the primary outside of a couple large democratic groups. Obviously, Black women won him the South, but ended up winning him the primary. But he was, I think, a uniquely unpopular primary candidate, which I think has just come to a head now, where a lot of the, the approval rating, obviously, it's Republicans are never going to approve of him. And I know he'll talk about being bipartisan, and he has some bipartisan strategy. Clearly doesn't work, right? The Republicans are never going to approve of him. And I think he's uniquely unpopular with the burning wing of the party, which is 30% of the Democratic Party. And I think that's really where what puts him at a 35, 40% approval rating. And that's literally it. Like you get all of the Bernie wing and you get the Republicans and, and that's where he lands. And I think he's done very little to improve his standing on either side. Obviously he's not going to be bipartisan and he shouldn't be uh, because the Republicans won't work with him. And to the Bernie party, he's done absolutely nothing. And obviously there's, there's many reasons behind that. Uh, and there's debate whether he could be doing more, but I mean, it's just not going to work for him. He's trying to play, play two sides that aren't going to work. Yeah, I think I agree for the most part. Um, and I'll have some additions uh, later, but what do you think, Tyler? I think there's kind of like two things going on at once. I think one is like, I feel like I may have said this on this podcast like a year ago. Um, at the very least, I've said it to people in private, but like, I feel like as a country, there's a very like anti-incumbent like sentiment for the last couple of years, right? We're like, sort of the we're tired of the old ways like stuff hasn't been working even if like it is kind of working there's still like the feeling that it isn't you know like right now like you know jobs jobs numbers are way up and yet people think that because certain businesses are still hiring like that we're you know we're losing jobs or unemployment is rising which is not the case and i think vice versa there's a feeling of like even though people maybe aren't Republicans, it's just like, I don't like who's there right now. And I think that same thing hurt Trump. I think that same thing is hurting Biden. And so I think that's until we get somebody that's like really motivating and inspiring and like can push people to action, that might just be something that 
both parties are dealing with for a while. The second issue is, I think, like Max said, just Biden's kind of like milk toast <laughs> attitude. Like, you know, the thing that I think genuinely won him that primary was the fact that it always did seem like he was, even if imperfectly, like he was telling you what he thought, you know, there was no like bullshit behind it. Like he wasn't, um, he was being centrist where he was genuinely centrist and he was being definitely on the more progressive side on issues he really landed there on. And since his election, you know, there has, I think, been at least in his like rhetoric for the most part attack to the middle, which I think comes across as like not genuine. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the wrong strategy and that like he can't do a lot right now with the Senate he has. Um, so like, if he's talking on a super progressive front, like you can't really make a lot happen of that. But at the same time, I do think it comes across as like really disgenuine at points and like, well, okay, he was talking about X and Y and now he's been quiet on it. Like for as much as there's a lot to debate about like student loan forgiveness, the fact that he like straight up came out and was like, yeah, we're gonna work on this and then there really hasn't been a push there. I understand the frustration with like totally. Um, and that applies more to the the Bernie, like the progressive wing. But I still think if you're like an independent who has a few issues you care about, that lack of earnestness does like come across. I'll go one step further too. Uh, and this is going to sound stupid and overplayed, but it's true. Gas and commodity prices. I think a lot of people, especially in like the Twitter wing, don't understand the average American voter is not very intelligent, right? Like most people don't don't watch the news all day. They don't follow Twitter all day. Like maybe they turn into their local news or Fox News for 20 minutes. But what they do do is they get gas in their Ford F-150 once a week. And when gas prices are five bucks, the president's not going to be popular. Like Obviously, like, and then obviously you have the, the liberals say, well, it's not Joe's fault because of XX, like YZ. And they're right, but that doesn't matter to people's perception of the president. When you go and you're spending whatever the, I don't eat meat, so I don't know what people spend on meat. I couldn't care less. But when they're spending whatever on ground beef, like 50, I, I don't actually know. And it's high, it pisses people off. People don't like that. People are simple creatures. Like they want to spend more of their paycheck and they want a bigger paycheck. It's spend less of their paycheck, whatever. When you're paying five bucks for gas, you're not going to be popular. End of story. Miles and I, right before we started recording, we're talking about this in that like, you know, especially in grocery prices, like, for me, if I'm running out to make like a small, like, you know, $20 grocery run, I need to pick up a few things. Like, I really feel it there. It's like, wait a minute, eggs are like $4 right now. And like, I, you know, that seems high. And it's, you know, I notice it and I'm not like really strapped for cash at the moment, you know, like it, cause I don't have. Drop, drop your Venmo King. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a ton of expenses. So it's like, you know, you, you see that and you're like, I'm feeling it. Well, imagine if I had three kids or, you know, was working two jobs or like, yeah, you're, you're going to feel that. And, you know, to the maybe broader question of like some of that discrepancy between house races and Senate races and presidency, you know, generally speaking, it's a lot easier to draw that line from the president to that, even if it's not true, than to your house your congressperson or your 100 percent. It, it's tough to blame your local congressman for gas and when the president is right there the president is always just the catch-all for blame yeah totally yeah no I, I i fully agree i mean like to tyler's point i've um 
like we were discussing before, I, uh, it, it, you know, I'm paying a lot more for my groceries. Uh, granted, I don't have nearly as many as much uh, or as many expenses as uh, some other people because I work from home. Um, yeah, but I, I'm still feeling it at at, at certain places. Um, I also think that uh, it, something that I've pointed out or pointed out before in my own like TikTok platform or on my own TikTok platform uh, is that I think that in, in many ways, uh, Biden and Democrats writ large assumed that they would have a bigger majority. In, and I, we, we might have talked about this before, but I think that he assumed that the, the Democrats would have a bigger majority come 2020. Um, and that just didn't play out uh, as well as Democrats hoped. And we're seeing the, the, the consequences of that with the, uh, the, with the House being marginal, with the Senate being marginal. So that's, you know, that's something I think that should be looked uh, or looked at or at least, you know, factored into uh, a lot of people's, you know, uh, a lot of people being pissed off, a lot of people's anger towards the, towards the administration. And I, and I understand that. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, Listen, I'm a diehard Democrat, like with the party through and through. I voted for Joe in the primary, all said and done when it came down to Ohio, like, but he's just in a weak spot right now, like as a president, he's just, you know, his agenda is kind of stalled. There's been some major conservative gains through the courts that he doesn't really have a ton of power to directly stop. You know, he can't pass any major legislation right now prices on, you know, gas prices have been going down a bit the last couple of weeks, but inflation is up across the board. Like, you know, most of that isn't on him or on any actions of his presidency, but at the same time, you know, it's still hard to look at that and be like, man, really happy with the direction we're in right now. You know, I understand the, the real desire to like, want to see somebody challenge him and in 24, like for all the Pritzker memes, like, you know, there is a genuine, you know, feeling that like, yeah, it would be nice to see somebody that was like more enthused, more energetic, like more forceful in how they, and I don't necessarily think again, that this Biden fault or that there's really a lot he can do in this spot that he's in right now. But there is that sense of like, well, we need to do something. <laughs> For, for me, it boils down to two main things. Number one is that he's old as shit. Like, it, it's just the truth. He's old. He ain't getting any younger. He ain't a spring chicken. He talks old. He looks old. He feels old. He off his bike. And in a microcosm, all of it really doesn't matter. But the Republicans are very good at getting clips of him looking stupid, slowing them down, putting them all over Twitter and everywhere, and on Fox News and making him look old. And it's not good. And he is too old. And I think if we can't admit he's too old, Nancy Pelosi's too old, we're in a bad spot. Number two is Ron Klain is exceptionally bad at his job and should have been fired ages and ages and ages ago. Uh, for those who don't know, Ron Klain's Joe Biden's chief of staff. And I think a lot of the reason behind Joe Biden being moderate Joe and just doing absolutely nothing. What we need is a strong executive branch. We've seen the blueprint. Trump had executive orders at the wazoo every week. There is absolutely no reason why, right or wrong, Joe shouldn't be just, there's no reason it should have taken a week for him to do an executive order on abortion, two weeks. Like we've known for three months. It should have been that night. He's on national TV signing the EO. Like it's not hard in all these unforced errors. I blame a lot of them on the chief of staff, but it's just unforced error after unforced error. And even if 
they get thrown out in the courts no matter what, why would you not do it? Like, it's so frustrating from my perspective that Joe's just not doing EO everything. Because who cares? There's nothing to lose at this point. Your popularity is at 35%. I think, yeah, that's where I'm at too, where it's like, it doesn't matter if stuff gets shot down in the courts, like you said. It just, you need to show people you're doing something. And not only does it show people that, but it also puts Republicans on record on the, the wrong side of everything. Like, you know, in the midterms, if we're saved, it's because like, at least to any degree, it's because we're out there talking about abortion right now and talking about why that's huge and why Republicans are awful right now. And Ted Cruz going out and saying that Obergefell was wrongly decided, like it's going to be that stuff. So like any opportunity to get them on the record, even if it's an executive order that could shot down, like take it, you need to take it. Like, and and the unforced errors, I mean, the whole thing about him nominating that judge, or at least the plan. Which he didn't even nominate at the end of the day, but the fact that it was in the news for two weeks. But it was it was in the news. And, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Kentucky's governor had to come out and like, be like, don't do this is like, you know, and that's not, I'm sure, personally on Biden, that was, I'm sure, through his team. But at the same time, it shows that there's a lot of, you know, wrongheadedness in the team. Like, of course, it doesn't like... Yeah. Yeah, it's good to get those other ones through in this sort of deal. But like one, McConnell's going to screw you no matter what. And two, it just, you knew this was coming. You knew that case was going to happen. Like you knew that the timing was going to be bad. Like, why would you ever walk into that? Like, there's no reason to make people even more disillusioned with the Democratic Party than they already are that are young and on the left and like, it makes no sense. Yeah. What's very funny to me is, and I'll let you, we'll play a little game here. To me, there is one politician in America who has worse current staff than Joe Biden. Who is it? Kamala Harris. Ding, 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 ding. The only person in this country with a worse political staff, worse political instincts, is Kamala Harris's staff. Who? And obviously, the K Hive is going to come after me. I don't care. I wouldn't have them managing my kindergarten like class president run. They make her so uniquely unlikable that it's insane. Her speechwriters are criminal. Like I, I don't know what they do all day. Why are we paying these people? Like I used to be a professional speechwriter for politicians. Like I know what it's like. It's not an easy job, but you don't have to be that bad at it. I didn't even write for a guy in English, and I and I don't. I wrote for the for the governor of Puerto Rico. I don't speak Spanish, and even I was better than these people. Yeah, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of missteps on both of these politicians. Parts. It's telling to me that if you want to replace Joe Biden with someone younger people should be saying Kamala, right? She's the, the vice president. Why are people not? Because her staff is so bad that they've allowed JB to fill in this proverbial like white knight role filling in for Joe Biden. And people will whine like sexism and stuff like that. I don't think it's that. I think that JB at least doesn't seem absolutely insufferable. And with that being said, like if JB runs, I'm voting JB. And by that, I mean Pritzker, not Joe Biden. Right. Or Joe Brandon, as some people like. To uh, perhaps avoid the full like, K hive wrath like you know she was my first primary choice like right at the start because I thought her story was great like I thought she had like an energy to her especially when she was still in the senate and it's yeah like it's her where where did that energy go she was so passionate and had such great energy and now she's the most milk toast politician in the country I mean listen there's still a few years like maybe she can if there's a total restructuring of that set but but it feels like, and you said this about Ron Klain too, but like 
they're all surrounded by this really old blood still when there needs to be some new blood in the, you know, leadership and in the just day-to-day stuff. I mean, Ron Klain's been with Biden for like, what, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, whatever. Like he's, he's been with him a long time and like, that's great. They have a connection, but also Ron Klain ditched Biden last minute in 16 to jump on the Hillary camp. Like these people aren't necessarily, I think, making the best, <laughs> the best judgment calls. all. No, the time. No, and I think a lot of that is Joe Biden's incredibly loyal, which I think is a good trait in most people and a terrible trait in a politician. Being loyal is good as long as you have the right people working for you. And look at the approval poll. Like it's, we're a year and a half in. You should not be polling at 35% as an incumbent president. I don't care who you are. Pretty simple. Because we, we just saw what happens when you poll that low as an incumbent president. You don't get reelected. Look at Trump. Yeah, you, and it, like you said about Pritzker, <laughs> the billionaire progressive governor of Illinois really should not be the like, if you just take that line and know nothing about it's like that's like that's a recipe for disaster like there's no way that's gonna but the fact that there is a genuine like buzz at least online about him right now just shows that like people just want somebody that they feel like is gonna like make an effort and like why does jb pritzker as a billionaire feel feel more personable than everyone in the administration it's because he's passionate which is good but there's no reason joe biden can't be passionate Sorry, the Columbus crew just scored up 2-0 over Cincinnati. Big Ohio news. Let's go, crew. <laughs> Lucas Elrayon, first goal in 12 games. I will definitely be keeping that in the pod. <laughs> I mean, similarly, though, like we look at, say, we want to talk about gun reform. Sure. It's such an easy victory for the Dems to say, look, like we, we just passed it. And why wasn't it everywhere? Why did, if you ask any voter, why haven't we heard about it? Why is the fact that we passed them the first gun re- reform in 20 years nowhere to be found? It's because these people are terrible at their jobs. And I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, something that is so on the minds of people and that like, if we're passionate about and can make a case about, I mean, listen, Beto O'Rourke, an imperfect politician, but I think him standing up at that thing for Abbott and being like, you know, what the fuck happened at this, like, this is a, and especially with all the details continuing to come out of Uvalde, it's like, you know, this is an issue that we can just talk about genuinely because it's fucked up. It's fucked up what's happening in this country. Like, I think I said the exact same thing last podcast when we talked about that. I said, at least Beto gives a shit. Yeah. And listen, maybe he'll lose, maybe he'll win, but I think people want to look at somebody and feel like they care and feel like that it's not just like, for talking points it's not just for you know the story about it but that they you know like why biden isn't every day talking about it like forcefully and you know why all of our candidates aren't why kamala isn't out there every day talking about like you know people want to feel like their kids are safe going to school like that's such a basic thing in this country that matters and it's like why are the heads of our party not just constantly talking about it just constantly being like this is fucked up and we need to do something about it it's you know it's a party run by very tepid people right now that are i think too scared to really go any one direction out of fear of alienating any other direction and i think in the end that just kind of alienates everybody it's like if you're constantly scared to take a stance on anything 
or if you take a stance to be really like quiet about it and sneaky about it, like then everyone doesn't, you don't pull in anyone with that. And at the end of the day, for better or worse, I think that was probably Trump's strong suit was that, you know, he didn't give a shit about what his party thought. Like he was out there just saying whatever the fuck he wanted to at any point. And not that necessarily that's a winning strategy. It obviously didn't win it for him. But I think if, if Biden or Harris or whoever right now had a little more of that oomph, right, of that going out there and being a little bit more candid about the situation, like the nature of our problems right now, I think that would be huge and might help his approval more than, you know, any any one speech he can give right now that's pretty pretty timid yeah i i, th I think that i would agree and and, and hear what what you guys have said um it's just it, it's and there's a lot of issues that i that, that i personally have um but yeah uh i don't know is there, is there anything else that you'd like you guys would, would like to add i mean I guess real quick, like I just, it definitely feels like as a country, we're in a really rough spot right now that like the next like two years are gonna be crucial to like navigating. <laughs> like, and so it feels like we need people in the driver's seat or at the very least around the driver's seat that are really making the effort to realize like how monumental <laughs> the problems we're facing right now are and how monumental the cost is of us losing in 24 or in 28 or even just losing the, the house in this midterm. And, you know, right now, maybe they do need a wake up call in the midterm. Maybe, you know, if some, if we lose a couple good folks, like it'll, it'll wake some people up into being like, oh shit, we really got to change the strategy. Uh, obviously it'd be preferable to win and still have that same oh shit moment, but you know, we're going to have to really work for it and really find ways to navigate this. Cause like there's a huge amount of division and a huge amount of massive issues of which there's just no common ground. Like we need to, we need to keep winning. And in order to do that, we just need to get better at what we do. I have a take. Uh, I think we're in a unique position right now where we can uniquely do very, very well this midterm if a few things break our way, but we need to force them to break our way. I think the Senate is very, very, very winnable to pick up two more seats. And I think the House isn't as losable as everyone says, especially because I think our candidates are much stronger and I think we can do well. But that very much relies on messaging. I think we are in a terrible position, Tyler. I completely agree. But I think the fact that we're in a terrible position, we need to use to our advantage. We need to make the Democrats need to make a compelling case to their voters about why you should vote for them. And they have not yet done so. Like the case on row is like, is like what? Because you have a lot of voters saying, well, why didn't you cut it? And now the Dem strategies still say because it wouldn't have mattered. And, and I happen to agree with that. I don't think it would have mattered. I don't think the court sees codifying this, like doing anything. But you have to sell to the voters why. You need, you need to like, say a pledge. You need to be, I pledge the day one elected, I will introduce codifying row. Do something to sell your story and sell something more than what now when you have literally nothing. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, yep, me too. people need to feel like you're doing something and that if you win, you're going to do something 
and not just field it. You're there to fill a seat. Um, and it's hard for every house member to do that. I mean, inherently, you always have back benchers, you always have front benchers, but to people in your district, they need to feel like you're the person out there fighting for them on these issues. And we certainly need better messaging on row just to, you know, like talk about it more. <laughs> we certainly need better on guns to talk about it more. Like you're right there. There definitely is an opportunity, especially if, you know, gas prices continue going down. If maybe inflation starts increasing at a less insane rate for a couple months, there is an opportunity. Um, and I hope that, like you said, we're able to seize it and people are able to, to make the right, the right calls on messaging. Yep. I hope so too. Um, I think with that though, uh, we should move on to the second question and we've kind of already briefly thought, uh, talked about this, but so why do you guys think that there's that, that, that divergence going back to the uh, presidential versus congressional general ballot polling? Why do you think that, that, there, that there's such a difference and such a discrepancy between both types of, uh, of polling that we're seeing? And I'll go to Tyler for that. I mean, at its simplest, I almost think right now the congressional ballot question is different is maybe being read differently than it has in the past. Like to me, that question, I suspect a lot of people are straight up answering as, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican, right? Like, which is a very different question than do you like the job Joe Biden's doing? Um, or maybe in general, do you lean Democrat or do you lean Republican? Because, um, you know, just inherently as a country, we're always, there's always more Democrats than there are Republicans. And it's always the independence that split the difference or turnout that splits the difference usually. Um, so I have no doubt that, you know, as a country, we still have far more Democrats than we do Republicans or at least, you know, left-leaning people. Uh, but at the same time, Joe Biden just hasn't done a lot for Democrats It's to a lot, you know, especially, especially to the non-hyper-informed crowd, which most people are. Like, you can sit here and, you know, be happy about some executive order signed three months ago that was on some hyper-specific thing that matters only to a really hyper-focused crowd. But like, if you're just somebody that, like Max said, you do your nine to five, you watch ABC World News at six o'clock and, you know, maybe check Twitter and see a story here or there. It's like, what what the hell have you seen that he's done? <laughs> like- well, What has fundamentally changed under Biden's presidency? We lost abortion and there's been a shit ton of shootings. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, but COVID winding down in terms of, at least for the time being, severity and and uh, case numbers, and of course, and certainly the severity part of it and access to vaccines um, being huge, it's not as prescient of an issue as it was November 2020, which was might've been a deciding factor at the end of the day between who won that election was that there was a massive pandemic occurring under the Trump administration. So the fact that, not to say it's old news, it certainly isn't, but I think for a lot of people that, you know, are vaccinated, maybe they had it once and are for the most part going about their lives as they were pre-March of 2020, you know, Biden can't continually champion that as like, because that really was the biggest aspect of his presidency so far was the reigning in of, of COVID. 
Um, but you can't run on that forever. It's the unfortunate, you know, like I have no question that barring some other major global pandemic of which there very easily could be, um, Trump-Biden 2024 race would be, that would no longer be a factor, you know, at all in people's minds. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Um, you know, there is infrastructure, but just the bipartisan infrastructure. But, but do you, but the, I mean, the, here's the problem with infrastructure. Yeah. Infrastructure is very hard for people to see in the short term. Infrastructure oh, is very absolutely. much a long-term thing. No one knows if their bridge is getting rebuilt in two years. You know, when you drive over the bridge and it feels good and there's less traffic. No, a- absolutely. I-, I fully agree with that. And um, also, Republicans- I'm just playing devil's advocate that. Yeah, the Republicans have been stealing all the credit for it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just thinking, you know, DeWine coming out. Oh, yeah, we're going to put this $2 billion towards an X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, where'd that $2 billion come from, jackass? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, simple, I'll make a simple pledge right now on the podcast, though. Either party, whoever gets the trains built in Ohio, one free vote. Don't care for who. Tell me who to vote for. I will. Get a damn Amtrak station in Ohio. I'm voting for you. <laughs> Donald Trump completely Amtrak in Ohio. I'd be pretty close voting for him. Yeah. Uh, All I, I want to do is drink a lot of alcohol, go to Browns games. That's it. I'm a one issue voter. Brains, Clark. Max and Miles, this is for both of you, I guess, but kind of I feel like related to this. If, as seems increasingly likely, 2024 is just Trump Biden again, you know, hard to predict this far out what the circumstances of the country will be. What do you think that broadly speaking looks like? I thought you were going to ask me which I'd vote for. And I was like, I don't know. No, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, No, I mean, as much as I don't like to see a Trump Biden rematch, I think it'll be somehow worse this time around. It'll be all the more stupider because both won't have primaries. DeSantis or not, Trump's running DeSantis is not a serious problem. No, yeah, not exactly. Yeah. I think both of them not having to change anything for the primaries just can make it infinitely worse. Uh, It'll be absolutely insufferable. I think... I think Biden has the upper hand, but I think Biden's at the disadvantage. I know, Tyler, you mentioned earlier, like the anti-incumbency movement. I really agree with that. I think we're at a unique time where incumbency is a disadvantage. And I think of 2008, similarly. Like, I don't know. Maybe people are fed up with it. I mean, obviously, it's a podcast you guys can't see. I, have a, I did that sticker on the back of my phone. Uh, I stole it off a gas station. I don't actually believe it. But <laughs> I think the vitriol for both candidates is so high that I think it's also a scenario where look at 96. I think you could see a third party type come in and get like 15% and just throw everything into chaos. Whether that's like a Larry Hogan type or a Nina Turner type, I don't know, but it'd be such a depressingly unoptimistic election. Yeah, that's, I'm in the same boat where it's like, my gut says he has the upper hand still. Like my gut says that if it's the two of them, it just becomes 2020 again. Like, for as much as people are pissed at Biden, it people just break the same way they had four years prior, where it's like, well, country kind of sucks right now, but I yeah. didn't I didn't like him last time. I don't like him this time. But at the same time, like you said, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much, you know, risk involved there. And Trump is just such a character that you never know what the hell he's gonna do. You if know, if you get Trump back on Twitter, but guarantee he loses the election, all for it. <laughs> worthwhile trade yeah yeah well, agreed. It's also, i mean they're both four years older how does that play things out i mean at that point i mean 
Trump has definitely been in the public eye less. And so I think it is unclear how, how old he's now looking and seeming as much as he was a couple of years ago. And the presidency takes it out of you inherently. And Biden certainly looks to me a lot older than he did two years ago. So it's two hard. Ago, Biden didn't have much you could take out of him. And look where we are now. Yeah, it's yeah, and you know this is sorry for cutting off there, but uh, this is like not even factoring factoring in the the possible ramifications if the Supreme Court sides with more in Moore v. Harper. So like that like that that puts a whole you know whole wrench into everything, which is also why I think that Democrats, national Democrats, should really focus um, on state races, state. And, and, and state government this for this election. I mean, just imagine if Mastriano gets you know wins against Shapiro. Yeah, I mean that that's that's the wild card, Miles. Is what if Mastriano wins? What if Lake wins in Arizona? And what if we don't have an actual election? Like we're perilously kind of close to that. Like, take out Tony Evers, take out, like it's not good. And we're not that far away from him. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's the big question mark is there's so many like unknown factors in this election in particular, like you said, could there be a third party person really pushing for it that hurts Biden or hurts Trump or, you know, could we have some crazy, I mean, I have a feeling one of those people is going to get through, you know, it's a, it's going to be a, it's a midterm with an incumbent. Like we have uniquely strong candidates, but I would not be shocked if in, at least one of those elections, we we lose one of them. Like, I mean, Mastriano is pulling like six points ahead of Doctor Odds. Yeah, it's. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, you don't know what the courts are going to do. Like at this point, with such a solid majority, like I, I have no doubt, more v Harper will maybe not end up in our our favor, just because you know the the sort of the shackles are off now, right? Like the 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 inmates are in control of the asylum basically right like there's there's no there's no guardrails anymore and not to go on a very brief tangent but you know i am fully of the pack the court belief at this point um or at the very least tear the whole system down purely uh-oh is that me I don't think so. Oh, bye, Tyler. Uh, we've lost Tyler, so I'll finish his thought. Uh, tear <laughs> the whole system down purely because the system sucks. Uh, with that being said, I'm endorsing Una Turner for president 2024. <laughs> wow, that was, that was yes, really bold, Tyler. Tyler, you just endorsed Una Turner for president. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me, clear, let me clarify. I was just saying, pack the court. Republicans are bad. We'll I, I heard you endorse Nina. I don't know. I I gotta listen. I gotta I gotta whoa, step back here. It, this is why I'm on the podcast. I'm not smart. I don't have any good analysis. <laughs> well, I I guess that's where I'm at now. Um, hello, somebody. 2024. Here here's a funny thought though. We get four candidates for president: Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Green Party Nina Turner, Constitution Party Mike Pence. Who wins? I don't know. Like Pence. <laughs> you think Pence does? Who not? No. Oh, no, okay. I was uh, like, in that situation, I think it's Trump. 
I think it's easily. In that yeah. situation, I think it's Biden. I think Nina can't pull as nearly as many votes off Biden as Pence can pull off Trump. I was thinking Pence was going to pull more from Biden, to be real with you. I think Pence pulls the, like the John Kasich types, which I think they're just enough in like Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Virginia, like those type of states to actually give it to Biden. I could see Pence getting like 10%. Boy, would that be a hell election! Oh my god, uh, I would, I would literally delete all social media. But honestly, say, like, that's, the, it, that's the like, you know what? I'm gonna move to like somewhere. Would that right? be all that shocking? Like, I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but Nina Turner already said she's running for president, so that part's done. Would Pence running be shocking to anyone? Like, no, obviously, really. I think he'd run as a Republican, but if he lost, like, he signaled. Yeah, I don't know. Here's, here's my thought on, on Donald Trump and what he does, though, for 24. Unsolicited thought. You guys don't care about this. Uh, I think uh, Noem's his VP. That's interesting. interesting. I mean, I because I think what he wants to do is want to play up the woman card. Like, oh, Joe got a – Joe has a woman? I do, too. Here's my absolutely crazy, batshit insane the South Dakota governor who is with me 1,000%. Oh, and even worse, the, um, the, the, the Idaho lieutenant governor. I, I don't think she can be on a national stage without getting arrested within like 10 minutes. Damn, <laughs> would that be fun? What the only upside of Trump running again, the only upside is going to be seeing DeSantis just get smacked down on a national stage because he will be in the unenviable position of because he's gonna run i think he runs no matter what because he wants to and he's going to and he's going to try and position himself as like i'm more trumpy than trump and whatever but he's in the the awful position as a republican in that race where he can he can't directly attack trump on anything Mm -hmm. but trump does not give a shit and can attack him on absolutely everything and Seeing that man get taken down a peg on national television will be entertaining at the very, very least. To me, he feels very much like Ted Ted Cruz in like 2015, where everyone just assumes he's the front runner and he's in the front seat, but he's so uniquely unlikable that he's actually not. All the, for all the Republicans online that say he's great, like have you ever listened to him speak? He's not a good speaker. He has no charisma. He barely eked out a win over a guy who's about to go to prison for 10 years uh and was a te- not not a good candidate like for all of the hype about DeSantis I don't get it I was gonna say the same thing dude about you know listen it was a blue year and you know he won just barely but it was against a really bad candidate in a state that is also really unfriendly to us for the well, last against a really bad candidate years. in a state that is uniquely bad for Democrats as of late yeah and it you know He's one of those guys that I think, you know, his approval is pretty good in Florida right now because I don't know if you saw that interview with, who was that? Just some, was it a CNN piece or Politico where they were interviewing people in the state and they're like, yeah, I think he's done a good job. Just like, clearly. Yeah, just because they weren't locked down for COVID. Yeah, exactly. It was like, that was all it was. And so, but like the difference between that and then suddenly this guy being on the news constantly and you hear, he is just a uniquely unlikable, like, uncharismatic kind of guy 
which he's going to be on the news talking about CRT for 12 hours a day and people are going to completely tune it out. I've already tuned out CRT completely. If you say the word CRT, my brain shuts off. I just don't care. Well, I mean, it's when you're running against somebody like Trump, who is just a call to personality, that's his whole appeal. You need some level of baseline charisma to combat that, which it's running against the populist. Like for, for all Trump's faults, he's a populist. And I know he's not, he didn't govern like one and he doesn't, he's a populist. He wants to be popular. He says popular opinions. America first is a popular stance, whether Democrats like it or not. And Trump can go up there and say, fuck Ukraine. I don't want to give a dime to Ukraine in ways that other people can. Yeah. I I think you guys make some very valid points. Um, Is there anything else that you guys would like to add to the second question about this divergence or... Should we move on to the break? Let's move. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you guys on the other side. Welcome back to uh, Elections on Tap. And the third and final question that I'd like to ask um, my, my two panelists here is, do you think that we'll see the, the two indicators start to converge more the closer we get to November? Uh, meaning, do you think that we'll see the presidential approval be as much of an albatross as in the previous cycles? And I'll go to Max on that one. Okay, my answer is going to have an asterisk. My asterisk is on recession. I think if we actually go into a full-fledged recession, which I don't think is likely at this point, uh, I think they don't converge at all and go even further apart. Uh I don't think congressional Dems are really impacted by a recession because I don't think people see congressional Dems being in char- as in charge as they actually are, uh, especially as they do Biden. I think barring that, I think we see gas prices dropping substantially down a buck past month. Uh, if the fundamentals keep improving for Biden, things like gas prices, like the war in Ukraine, like you losing any focus from anyone, commodity prices going down, uh, it maybe if we get a healthcare bill or some type of reconciliation, that gets him good press and maybe if he can start selling people on some stuff more i, th- I think we do see some convergence i think it's pretty realistic for him to get up to the, about the 40 percent area and i think congressional dems are just gonna keep doing better they're they're not doing bad right now so i think convergence is likely just obviously like bear in mind if there's a recession if anything goes what do you think tyler max actually stole that 40 percent number i had it locked and loaded in my head i think I honestly think Biden's capped out close to that. I think people are, there's a lot of preset notion that even with some sort of economic, you know, changes of gas prices and with commodity prices and whatnot, I honestly think he's pretty capped around 40, maybe low 40s. So I, you know, you might have some convergence in that direction if he's up a little bit and Dems stay kind of where they are, but I wouldn't really see him tracking with them you know if they end up at 49 i would really struggle to see a situation where barring some like major rally around the flag kind of thing that that gets them up there um where convergence i think is more likely i don't think it's likely right now but where it could happen is in the inverse where biden's approval stays really bad and congressional approval goes way down because of some you know, like Max said, maybe recession, maybe that doesn't really affect them, but just maybe, who knows, the world is insane right now. And it's hard to really say what's going to happen or 
<laughs> like anything goes right now, right? And so the convergence I think is still unlikely, but if it does happen, I would be less surprised if the convergence was going in a negative direction than a positive one. Um, because yeah, I, I really struggle to see again, barring some like major tragedy or something that that has some kind of rally around the flag effect. I can't see Biden getting over fifty ever, frankly, at this point. Yeah, um, and I, th I think what's also interesting is that we're not seeing this uh, just on the congressional ballot. We're not seeing this dynamic just with the congressional ballot. We're also seeing it in. Uh, in, in, in Senate races and in some governors, uh, governor races. Um, so, I mean, we haven't had that much house polling, at least I haven't seen that much house polling. Oh, it's, um, it's coming soon because New York Times just started. Yeah. So, uh, so, so we can't engage much there, but, you know, it's not just, um, you know, limited to the congressional ballot or at least the, this dynamic. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what sort of what happens after Labor Day uh, with this, because that's kind of where things get really kind of into gear. Um, so that, that's what I'm looking at right now anyway. I mean, when you have a poll like that Pennsylvania one that has sample size with Biden approval at like, what, 34, 35% and Fetterman over 50, like some create some wacky shit is going on right now. Like that is really unusual in a midterm year that a, a, a president's approval is that low and you have somebody like Fetterman over 50. Like that's unusual. And that's a unique situation. Oz is a uniquely bad candidate. You know, Fetterman- Is I he even uniquely bad at this point? I don't think he's even uniquely bad anymore. I think he's just regular bad. Yeah, regular bad. Okay, yeah, that's probably fair too. But like, that's a huge gap. That's an insane gap that like, you know, I can't really think of any recent example of something that kind like you know to see in that literally the same poll like yeah the, the people answering this hate joe biden right now and are on the path to electing john fetterman that's weird. The, the reason i don't see a convergence is if you hate joe biden what could possibly outside obviously like tyler said of the huge event what could possibly make you not hate him between now and november you just wake up one day like wow i love brandon no <laughs> same reason why people in 2020 didn't wake up one day and say well like oh i love trump and now i hate him no like we just got more people to show up that didn't love trump yeah it's you know so we are gonna we're gonna have some weird results where you're we're gonna have exit polling in some states where it's like biden's approval in our exit poll sample found you know 29 percent approval you know we're gonna have weird shit like that happen and then it's gonna be like oh yeah and by the way Ron Johnson lost like you know like it's going to be like the like your weird stuff like that's going to happen and we're going to have confusing results we're probably going to pick off some weird things that like weren't even on the radar and we're probably going to lose some stuff that we're like what what like how did that happen you know like like I wouldn't be surprised if we had something weird where it's like Mark Kelly goes down but like we pick up the Arizona governorship or, or NC like, or something yeah yeah Ticket splitting's back. That's what you're saying right now. <laughs> ticket and I agree. I think ticket yeah. splitting is back. I love ticket splitting when it goes our way. It's a, it, I think we're in for a weird, a weird election. And who knows? Maybe I'm wrong and it's just going to be bad. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm kind of like, it's going to be a weird one and we're going to get to election night and it's going to be like, huh, 
this is really bad. Okay. <laughs> but a part of my worry there is I think we sound sometimes a lot like Republicans did in 2018. They're like, yeah, I mean, all the fundamentals are against us, but like, there's no way it's this bad, right? And it was this bad. But part of me is like, I don't know, like, it's a uniquely the different. Fundam- yeah. All the-, <laughs> the fundamentals are bad, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll do it. Like, I think it's going to be a year of weird results across the board. Like, look at Nebraska one. We already had the weirdest result of the cycle and no one's talking about it. Yeah, that was very strange. Like, you almost picked that up. Like, no, absolutely no one. Like, no money spent. Like, no, like that was a. I mean, you mentioned, I think that was before this, but how you could see like Jeff Crossman like having a shot in Ohio for. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. I think Jeff Crossman has a shot. John Hussett, not John, I hate John Hussett. David Yost had such an incredible Todd Aiken moment. If they don't utilize that to the fullest extent of their abilities, they're stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's we're gonna have those results where it's like, oh yeah, Kasich or Kasich, Dewine won, but also Jeff Crossman's Attorney General. You know, we're gonna have weird things like that happening. We're gonna have weird, unexpected things, and and it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those nights that both parties sort of in a way feel like they've won you know where it's like i honestly think 2018 almost had that vibe where like 2018 had that vibe for the first half of the night people forget that the Dems were down big the first oh half. yeah I, that was a i remember that yeah that was a bad feeling i remember when i went to bed that night i was like holy shit like where did we fuck up here like it was a yeah. real like we are in a bad and i woke up and it was like wait a minute testers winning like what you know like it was and those a things. lot of that was 538's model was so off the first part of the night that it screwed everything up for everyone but yeah. yeah and it but so like i honestly wonder if we if we get another one of those maybe even by the end of the night where it's like democrats have stuff to celebrate hey we we held the senate or we held the house or maybe we gained seats in the senate and republicans have stuff to celebrate where it's like hey we won the house or there's a governorship that was like really important that we flipped. And, and it's one of those things where maybe no one really learns anything from it because everyone's so focused on the wins and not the losses, which is certainly a danger in and of itself. But um, we're, we're entering the, the weird zone. That's for sure. Totally agree. And I think one thing, Miles, if I may, we haven't talked about it at all. No one's talking about it. This Tuesday, my new, my new state, Maryland, uh, for those who don't know, I've moved to Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, go Baltimore. Charm City. Primary. One of the most interesting Dem Senate primaries in the country. I'm sorry, Dem Governor primaries in the country. No one's talking about it. Tom Perez versus the author, Wes Moore, of the book, The Other Wes Moore, which was Ohio State required reading for my class 2016. Oh my God. No, Did was, not read the was, book. Didn't was, even was, buy it. I was going to say, it was required reading for, for me. I forgot uh I, I think for like my destination kent state thing um yeah. that's crazy i didn't didn't read one page of it just decided i wasn't doing it it wasn't high school but he has a shot of beating tom perez which would be a huge upset in my mind and polling is almost nil because no one cares to publicly poll it the that's maryland a- governorship is very much a d pickup like easy d pickup yeah uh, yeah with hogan gone so i think who knows but I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm very. I've been intrigued. really intrigued by that that race. I've only recently kind of done a little because prior to like last week, in my head it was just like 
Yeah, Tom Perez. Yeah, I think everyone like, just assumes Tom's going to win, and he's in a dogfight. Yeah, which is fascinating. I mean, and not he wasn't the strongest DNC head. He wasn't the, you know, he had a rough time even getting in there briefly. Like, there was a, he definitely makes sense as somebody that's seen as like a, yeah, obviously it's going to be him, but yeah, has to struggle for it. And I still, uh, I, I still think he wins, but I, I definitely agree with you, Tyler. That'll be intriguing to see. And it's also a really late primary too, which is might offer some weird insight in and of itself in terms of like turnout. Uh, yeah. We, we also have David Trone's primary, uh, David Trone's Rep- district Republican primary where uh, like a 26 year old Republican troll, Matthew Foldy, who's indifferent on the election uh, being stolen. He won't answer is up against a pretty reestablishment. Forget his name, state rep, who's pretty normie. Uh, I think it could tell us some. Uh, uh, the Trump guy is Matthew Foldy. I really hope he loses. He's terrible. Uh, I know his campaign manager way too well. In what state is this? This is Maryland 7, David Trone. Interesting. Yeah, I mean... In, in which it's now like an R, like plus one district. So it's very... Maryland's, a, Maryland's an interesting state. It has some interesting districts. It's the fact that it's had a moderate Republican governor for a while at this point, who I wouldn't really say has a national profile, but is certainly for a governor, has some level of of a general knowledge about them. Like, it's a weird state. It's also, I think, a state that the party should look at for an early primary state if we're switching things up. Um, it's been one that's on the top of my list for a while of maybe should go like first or second if we decide to really do a reshuffle of where where we hold the first couple primaries. Um, I would certainly put Maryland up that list. Yeah, but. I mean, it's very, very diverse state uh, interests. Middle-ish income. I think the slightly, I think the one knock would be there's too many beltway types. Which is, uh, yeah, to- totally agree. It's, it's a very diverse democratic state that I think should. I would put for me, it's Maryland, Nevada would be like my top two. I really like Nevada as one, especially if they never, ever, ever have a caucus again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Iowa, New Hampshire. Sorry. We don't need Goodbye. anymore. Yeah. We Jettisoned into the sun. Unhelpful. Literally unhelpful. But yeah, Nevada and, and Maryland would be up there. South Carolina, I'd keep up there. Yeah. Not Iowa. Never Michigan again. too. I, I, I think Michigan last time. Never. I again. think Michigan should very much be up there. I think Michigan's a very good down primary state. Mm-hmm. Just get the Midwest in one swoop. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else you guys would like to say um, about the possibility of convergence and whatnot? Max, unless you got any final hot takes, I'm good. I feel like this is where you can launch out one just one one insane take. And this will be wild. I promise I'd bring it up. Johnny Trudeau. <laughs> Not Trudeau. I'm, I'm <laughs> in my politics mind and my hockey mind at the same time. Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Hockey is coming to Columbus Blue Jackets. What does this mean in the November election? Hear me out. This is gonna be a crazy take. Hockey season starts beginning of October. Blue Jackets going to have a crazy offense. They're going to grow on a tear. The people of Columbus will be supporting their team, supporting their new Canadian guy, Canadian equal liberal. He's not even Canadian. He's from the U.S. He just played for the Calgary Flames. People of Columbus will be so happy and thrilled over the hockey team. We will be turning up in droves in November and voting for Nan Whaley. 
And unfortunately, the Browns are going to have such an awful year that turnout in Cleveland is going to be 0% among registered. We will find out whether their year will be awful or not in like one week when the Watson suspension gets released. If it's under six games, great news for Democrats. (laughs) Yeah, Cleveland and Columbus sports are entirely what what, uh, the election hinges upon. Yes. (laughs) 100%. Uh, Joining my two uh, Twitter interests, I love it, sports and and, and politics. Um, But in in any way, or in any case, uh, with that, you heard the the, the election prediction here. Um, uh, But with that, I would like to thank my two panelists for joining me today. I think we had a really interesting, robust discussion um, about a whole lot of things, actually. but yeah, so I want to thank I want to thank Max Littman. I want to thank Tyler Gardner, and um, we'll see you guys on the next episode. It's going to be our twentieth episode, uh, so yeah, t- tune in for that. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elections on Tap. If you like us, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, please leave us a rating as it helps us reach more people. Also, if you would like to support us, you could find the link to do so in the podcast description page. Thanks again for listening.